Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series, Heaven Meets Earth. We are excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. We are on a Christmas series called Heaven Meets Earth. And that is literally Christmas in a nutshell, that God stepped out of heaven and into earth. And he does that in many different ways through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And last week we did this whole journey kind of through the Old Testament and landed in the New Testament. And we're kind of doing the same thing this week, but through different set of stories. Last week we talked about how Christmas was a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And at first, it just didn't look like Abraham. Well, at first, actually, Abraham's promise was going pretty good. It was going pretty decent that Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and that his people would be a blessing to all people. That was the story. But then it looked like for a while that that was falling apart. Because you see in the story of of Abraham's family that they sin, that they mess up, that they're exiled, that they get carried off by all kinds of other nations. They literally write in the Bible that God has made us a laughing stock of the nations. God has scorned us in the nations. Like, we are nothing. We are lower than dung to all the rest of the nations. This is what Israel is saying about the promise. Could God still keep his promises? And then we see in the person of Mary that she said, yes, to God's plan. And she saw that, this whole thing, as a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. We could have hope in this. And this week is, is peace, and it sort of falls in the same theme of uh, that we could find peace in a God that not only keeps his promises, but a God that loves to use ordinary people. Do you know that? That God loves to use ordinary people. He loves that. And so that's what we're going to talk about, like literally the entire time today, that God loves to use ordinary people. I'm going to make one point today. That point's in your fill-in. It's at the very end. And so that's why I only have one fill-in, because there's one point. That's it. Just one point the entire time. So we're going to start in Judges chapter 6 this morning. Judges chapter 6 is not a Christmas story. It's the story of this man named Gideon. Gideon is uh, this guy, we, we come across him, and he is, b- before we get to the story, he is threshing wheat in a wine press. To our 21st century American ears, that's fine, right? no big deal, right? But if you are an agrarian culture, you live, you're, you're a farmer, in Bronze Age Israel, one of the things that you realize is You thresh wheat on the threshing floor. You thresh it somewhere else. You don't thresh it in this little teeny tiny wine press. The reason why you thresh wheat in a wine press is because it's got walls and you could hide. Because Gideon lived at a time where Israel was sinning and the nations were beating up on Israel. Specifically this one nation named Midian. The Midianites were coming for them. And Israel was really strategically weak at this point. And so this is where we pick up the story. Gideon is this scared man threshing wheat in a place where he should not be threshing wheat because Midian was coming in and taking all the wheat. And he was trying to keep a little bit for himself so his family could have bread. So Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 15. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Orpheth that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? This is a very human question. Have you ever asked that? If God is good, then why? One of these days we'll go through and do a series on doubt, and Gideon is like the primary number one suspect that we'll talk about. And it's okay to ask questions to God, by the way. God can handle it. God is God. He can handle your questions. He can handle doubt. So pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And you have to understand that the angel of the Lord here is not, it looks like an ordinary man. Otherwise, Gideon would probably be on his face, melting before him. Where are all his wonders that our ancestor told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Masanish, and I am the least of my family. What I love about this story is that Gideon's a real human guy, right? You look in the Bible sometimes and you're like, I can't be like that person's too good. I can't be like that person. But Gideon, I get Gideon. He's a real human guy, right? The angel Lord comes up to him and is like, I want you to go save your nation out of these people. And his main objection is, wait a second. I come from a family of really weak people. That's his argument. And I am the weakest of them. Like, they're bad. Have you met my family? They're no good. But I'm terrible. And you're calling me, you're choosing me to go do this mission for you, God. Are you nuts? This is Gideon's reply. This is Gideon's objection to the angel of the Lord. He doesn't believe that he could carry out God's plan. He believes that he's got the wrong guy. He knows that he's weak. He knows that he's the worst out of this, his whole family. And he's like, come on, you should know that. You're, you're the angel of the Lord. <laughs> Shouldn't you know this? But God chooses to use Gideon to save Israel. Now, I, I'm not, we don't have time. We got to get all the way to the New Testament. So I don't have time to take you all the way through Gideon's story today. But here's what, here's what God, he takes 10,000 people. God rounds, raises up 10,000 people to go march with Gideon. And then what he does is he takes them down to the water and he says, just take the people that drink the water like a dog, like hands face down and drink the water, not the people that lap it up and look over their shoulder. You know why? God wanted the worst soldiers. That's what God did. It's kind of a reversal of that story. You know the movie 300 where the Spartans go and 300 guys, they battle it. Yeah, it such a cool, like, manly movie. I love that movie. Anyway, it's a re it's complete opposite of that. God takes the weakest people who have no military intelligence, the people who shouldn't be warriors, and he takes them to defeat a nation. Why? Because he wants to use ordinary people to show his power. God loves doing that. And he does that all the way through the scriptures. This is the story of Gideon. And Gideon has this objection with God. He's like, hey, I, I'm just so ordinary. You can't use me. I'm weak. I'm worse than ordinary. I'm a weakling. You can't use me. I've got objections, God. 
He needed assurances. I mean, he obeyed God eventually, but he needed to see some extraordinary things happen. In fact, there's a whole other chapter about extraordinary things happening. He's like, okay, God, if you're really going to do this, I'm going to lay this fleece out, and I want the whole ground to be wet with dew in the morning, but not the fleece. I need the fleece to be dry. And he's like, okay. And so that happens, and he's like, okay, God, but really, still, if you're really going to use me, I'm going to lay this fleece out, and I just want the fleece to be wet with dew and the ground to be dry. And, and, and then that happens, and he's like, okay, okay, finally. He's so human, because that's what we do, right? Okay, God, if you're really going to call me, if you're really going to use me for something, I, I just... I need to see the proof. God, if you're really going to do this, then, then I, I need the money to do it. God, if you're really going to do this, I need you to bring the right people around. Okay, are we ready to step forward yet? No, 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 God. I, if you really want me to save the nation, this is what you're going to need to do for me, God. Gideon is just such a normal, he's us. We are Gideon, are we not? <laughs> Amen. We totally are. Okay, Put that story, flodge that story in the back of your head. We're going to move, we're going to jump forward in time to the next story. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a story that should be familiar to anybody who's familiar with the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're not familiar with it, we'll get you familiar with it real quick. In the year that King Hosea died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and two they were flying, and they called to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the sound of their voices at the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then this is Isaiah speaking now. He says, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, this is a little bit different. Isaiah now has a heavenly vision of God. He's not like under a tree. He's not in his scary place or anything like, you know, in his little safe cocoon like Gideon was in. He he's now has this vision of the angel or of the Lord, and he's in heaven with God, and God is like, hey, guess what? I'm going to use you. And his objection was this. I'm, do you know what I've done? Do you know what's in my past? God, if you, if you just knew I, I'm unclean and my family's unclean, we've done messed up stuff. We're messed up people. You can't use me, God. I, I'm broken. How many of you, is that your story? How many times have you said that to God, right? God, I, I can't. It, you know, it's not that I'm scared. It's, not, it's just that I'm not qualified because I, I messed up. And this was Isaiah's problem is that he was like, God, I, I'm, I'm this ordinary guy. I, I'm this prophet. I'm, it's not that I'm not strong enough. It's not that any of that. It's that I'm a sinful guy. My lips are unclean. And this is what he tells God. So Isaiah's got objections. He, he wants to be used by God, I'm sure of it. it. It's like his deepest desire in the scriptures. But, but he's just got this thing. How many times has that been you? 
You're either Gideon, you're in this wine press, you're scared, you, you're like, I just come from a family of, of I need assurances, I, God, I can't do this. Or you're like Isaiah, you're, you're in front of the Lord and he's saying, I want you to do this for me. You're, we're going to take the world together. I need you, I want a human partner just like you. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of screwed up, God. Isaiah is an ordinary guy until God does something with him. He's an ordinary guy until he's touched by God. And God uses Gideon over his objection. He uses Isaiah over his objection. It's almost as if God knows that we're humans, we're going to have objections, and we need reassurances, and he knows that. There's other people that object to God's plan, or that are at least question it. All right, now flip with me to Luke chapter 1. We're finally getting to Christmas, right? Not quite yet. And, the, and I read some of this last week, but we're going to go through this a little bit slower. Luke 1, 5 through 7 now. In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abahasha. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So this is a priestly man now, by the way. Like the the gray-haired pastor who's been doing it forever. This is Zechariah, right? He's the guy in your community that you go to because he's He's of the Aaronic line. He's blameless. He, the, you know, there's no, he's been following Torah. Him and his wife, they follow God's word. They are blameless, but they're childless. They're, they're about as good as people as you could find. But in his day, being childless was a sign that God had something against you or that God was judging you. Not so with today. But in his day, that was the idea. It was a sign of God's punishment. And so he, here's this guy in this area. He's got it all together, but still he just feels less than worthy because they don't have a child. So let's keep reading. Luke uh, 1, 8 through 10. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go to the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I want to just give you a quick context as what was happening here, because this is so cool. There's probably around 18,000 priests in Israel at this time. 18,000. So many priests go their entire lives without serving at this point where Zechariah was serving. So here's what, twice a day, incense were burnt at the incense altar. And so you got the Holy of Holies, which is the place where God dwelt, where once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And then right outside of that, you've got this altar of incense where you did this incense offering to the Lord daily. There's continual fire going up before the Lord. So um, what they would do, the priest would come in, they would light that incense, incense, and they would fall prostrate on their face before the Lord. And only a priest who has never served before was eligible to have their name picked. To, to go serve at that post. So you'd get to do it one time in your life as a priest. And it was the most special time in your life. And you got to imagine, Zechariah is an old man at this point, so he's probably thinking, will I ever get picked? Will I ever get picked to go before God? But on this day, 
he pulls his name out of a hat, and he goes in and serves before the Lord. He's been waiting for this moment his entire life. This is so serious that everyone, all the other priests stand outside the building in his division. They stand outside the, the building, and according to Jewish tradition, this is what they pray. God of mercy, come into your holy sanctuary and receive with pleasure the offering of your people. And you have to remember one other really amazing thing. Where Gideon had an experience of God, Isaiah had an experience of God, and all these other Old Testament people had an experience of God, that was one thing. But then there had been 400 years where nobody had heard from God. 400 years of going into this building twice every day, lighting the incense, laying down, praying, Lord, come into this place. Nothing, not a voice, not a peep, not a word from the Lord, nothing. So they're pretty used to God's silence at this point. God had not spoken at this point. Maybe their anticipation was at an all-time high, or maybe they were saying, will he ever talk? Is God gone? Has he abandoned us? Maybe it will. This, maybe God will do something this time. Now jumping into verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord would appear to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before he is born, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go up before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is long in years. Zechariah is just like the rest of them, right? He's a guy. He needs assurances. Let's keep reading. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So now you got this holy man standing in a holy place and a holy angel shows up with a holy announcement. And what happens? He says, your prayer has been heard. Like this is the moment they've been waiting for. 400 years of silence and it's like, this is the moment. We've been waiting for this moment right here. Everyone else outside is praying. God, fill this place with your, your presence. God, would you speak to, you know, God, we're praying that you would do something that hasn't been done. God, we're praying that you would come. They're praying for this. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. You, your wife's going to have a child, and it's not just any ordinary child. This is going to be a remarkable child. Your, your wife's going to give birth to John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah. Now, here, here's why this is significant, and this is all leading to my one point, I, I promise you. Malachi 3.1 says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire, says the Lord Almighty. So way back in Malachi, like, like literally 400 years before this, there's this prophecy that there's going to be somebody who's going to come and prepare the way for the Lord. That's the prophecy. 
And this is the, the message that the angel Gabriel is giving to Zechariah right here. There, there's something happening here. You're, you're going to have this son, and, and he's going to be great. He's going to lead people. But Zechariah says, I need assurances. How can I be sure of this? The one thing you kind of want from your priest is faith. The one thing you kind of want from your pastor is faith too, right? Yeah, you do. Trust me, it's good, it's good quality having a pastor is faith. The one thing you might want is faith from this guy. Instead, he's like, I don't, I don't my wife's... You, Gabriel, you understand babies, right? Because, like, my wife is old, I'm old, and you understand how this all works, right? How can I be sure of this? It's like he's been going his whole life waiting for this moment to be called to go before God, and when it happens, it's almost like, I just don't even believe it. I don't even believe this could be possible. So because... It, what, what I love about this is that the silence that he strikes Zechariah with, the angel Gabriel, is almost this like tough mercy. Because he can't explain this to anybody, but in his heart he knows it's true because the sign that he was given was silence and he can't speak. So he knows it's true. So you've got all these people who've heard from God. And, and, and you know, you've got people that are just ordinary people in different stations of life, different areas of life. One of them's Gideon. I, I'm not strong enough, God. I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm not strong enough. I can't carry out your plan. One of them's Isaiah. God, I'm, I'm just too sinful. I, you, can't, I can't, you can't use me. I'm broken. And the other one is a little, a little more subtle because he's a good guy. He's done all the right things. He's blameless before the Lord, but he doesn't have God, I don't even believe you could do that. You found yourself in one of those three areas. Maybe even this week. God, I don't even know if you could take me out of this situation. Do you understand how, how bad my situation is? I don't even know if you could do it. But right after this divine announcement where John the Baptist is foretold, there's one last divine announcement. Now, there's so many more divine announcements in the Bible, but I, I've tried to give you four this morning. Luke 1, 26 through 38, and we're just going to read through the, the entirety of this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so now John, John the Baptist's mom, she's pregnant, right? She's an old lady, she's pregnant. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of this greeting might be, what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she 
who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary is ordinary. She's more ordinary than ordinary. In fact, she's from this town called Nazareth. And if you see in your Bibles, there's a prepositional phrase to describe where Nazareth is. Because Luke knew his authors, his readers wouldn't know. She, she, Mary from Nazareth, comma, in the Galilee, or in Galilee, comma. So just to give his readers a cue, like, yeah, it's this little podunk village up inland of, of Galilee a, a little bit. You, 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 you will just miss it if you're riding by on a horse. It's barely there. It's barely there. So Mary comes from this insignificant place. And we can't mistake Mary's question of how can this be as a protest, by the way. Many people have mistaken that as a protest. She's not protesting. What Mary is doing, instead of Gideon saying, like, hey, I can't do it or anything like that, what she's saying is, look, I'm a virgin and I know how babies are made. How does this work? That's all she's doing. That's all she's saying. There's no protest in her here. That's all she's saying. And once Gabriel explains that she'll become pregnant supernaturally, that God will do it, that she, her reply is, may your words be fulfilled. Her reply isn't like, mm, I don't know, God. Let's talk about this. Do you have any fleece? Let's, make, let's fleece this out. Let's make this work, right? That's, that is not her reply at all. Her reply is, hey, may your words come true. This is incredible. She's standing before God as an ordinary person with a simple yes to God. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. All these other people in the Bible, they're not bad dudes. They're good guys. They do incredible things in Scripture, and you see them do incredible things, and God uses them in spite of their objection. So all of us, none of us are Mary. All of us would probably have an objection to God. All of us would probably stand before the Gabriel and go, I got questions. You want to use me, but I got some questions, God. Like, we would all be there. But Mary here stands alone in the litany of biblical characters to say, God, yes, may it just be as you said. May your plan work out in my life the way you've talked about. Uh, Lord, may this all work. Not even understanding, like, Luke really wants us to know, like, in chapter 1, it really begins with, with Herod here, understanding that there is a king that is out to get anybody else who's a threat to that throne. In the sight of that, you're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to do incredible things. And her words are, I am the Lord's servant. She's not in a temple, she's not a priest. She doesn't have stature in the community. She's in this little known obscure town called Nazareth. And as you might already know, even Galilee has a poor reputation because later on in the Gospels, they say, can anything good come from Galilee? So there's already a bad reputation. And she just simply says yes to the angel of the Lord. I told you at the beginning, I have one point to do today, and I'm just going to give you that point here in a second. Gideon, despite his objection, was used by God. Isaiah, despite his objection, was used by God. Zechariah, despite his objection, was used by God. But Mary showed us something different. Mary had a simple yes. She didn't even have an objection. 
So Mary shows us this. This is in your notes. Mary showed us that the ordinary is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. You have to think about that statement to find the power of it. Mary's ordinary life. God chose ordinary people like Mary. God chose the most ordinary, obscure, back road person, Mary, to be a receptacle of the divine. She's literally the delivery vehicle for the divine, right? <laughs> That's literally what she is. She's carrying the baby, Jesus. God has a special affection for the ordinary. She's not a priest, a prophet, a military leader, nothing, no standing. She's a woman even. Now, ladies, I know that sounds bad to hear in 21st century America to go, oh, she, he got even used a woman. But in, in the first century, you've got this woman now who towers over a priest in faith. A woman who towers over this biblical character, Gideon, who saved a nation. You get this teenage girl who towers over Isaiah, who was with God. He's touched by this angel, and, and, and his sin was cleansed. You have this little 16 to 20-year-old girl whose faith towers over all of them because she just gave a simple yes, a simple yes to God. I love what Dallas Willard says about the ordinary. He says this, See, Jesus slipped into our world through the back roads and outlying districts of one of the least important places on earth, and has allowed his program for humanity to unfold ever so slowly through the centuries. He lived for 30 years among socially insignificant members of a negligible nation, though one with a rich tradition of divine covenant and interaction. He grew up in the home of the carpenter for the little Middle Eastern village of Nazareth, after his father Joseph died, he became the man of the house and helped his mother raise the rest of the family. He was an ordinary workman, a blue-collar worker. He did all of this to be with us and to arrange the delivery of his life to us. God uses ordinary people, and what he asks out of us is a simple yes. God wants to use you. Christmas is the story of Mary really literally becoming a receptacle of Jesus, delivering Jesus to the world. What, what would it look like if this Christmas God wanted to use you to deliver Jesus to the world? What would it look like if this Christmas God wanted to use you to, to deliver the message of hope and holiness and healing through the name of Jesus to your community, whatever that might be? What would it look like are you going to say, God, I, I'm pretty weak. I, my family's terrible, and I'm really bad. You can't use me. What's your excuse? God, I'm sinful. And he's like, well, did you know about the cross? I took that all away. Is, is it going to be, yeah, but God, you, I need assurances. I don't really have faith. What's, what are your objections to God wanting to use you? Because I, I literally believe that you were created for a purpose. I think all of Scripture proclaims this, and you're not here by accident this morning, that God wants to use you in incredible ways. He's done it all through Scripture. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. One, we're, we're going we're gonna to close our eyes. I want to invite the band to come forward. You guys can keep your eyes open. I don't want to hear them tripping in the back. 
I want to invite us to close our eyes for a second and per- just pretend, just imagine with me that you're before God. You're all of a sudden transported. You're in the throne room of God, and he's like, I want to use you for this. Maybe you already know what this is, but God just wants to use you. You don't know what this is, but he wants to use you. What's your excuse? You don't have to say it. You can keep it to yourself right now. But I want to encourage you during this next song to give that excuse to the Lord and say, God, you know all my excuses. You know the deepest, most innermost part of my being. You know my excuse already before I say it, but here's my excuse. Would you take it away from me so that I can say yes to you? Would you take it away from me so that I could give you a simple yes, so I could give you my whole life? Would you take it away from me so that I could do work with you, God? And if you want to come to the altar and do that, we want to encourage you to do that during this next couple songs. If you want to do that right where you're seated, that's fine. But there's some of you here today who simply need to say yes to God. Maybe you need to let somebody know, a pastor know, there's these yellow cards in the seat backs of your, of your chairs, and maybe you simply need to say yes to Jesus for the first time because God wants to use you as a receptacle of the divine, a delivery mechanism for the hope of the world, just like he used Mary. He wants to use you to deliver hope holiness, healing to the people that are nearest around you, to your workplace, to wherever. He wants to use you, an ordinary person, maybe of little standing, a little stature. He wants to use you. It's what he created you for. He just needs a simple yes. Let's pray. Father, as our eyes are closed and we're sitting here with our excuses, Lord, we give our objections to you. I'm not strong enough. I'm too sinful. I'm old. I I, I don't have faith that you want me to have. I just don't have it. Whatever these assurances are that we need, God, I pray that we would take our excuses and bring them to the altar and say, God, they're yours. Would you rid us of our excuses so that we could say yes to you and dive deeper with you? In the name of Jesus and all God's people. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.